I'm Darren Garrahy, and you're listening to The Laughs of Your Life, the podcast where I talk to influential people about laughter. From their first memories of laughter, to feeling laughed at, to their no laughing matter moment in life. We do consider what we're eating. Yeah. What we're buying. Fast fashion, yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. All of that. Yeah. We consider all that, but yet we don't seem to be, as, as a society, apply that same logic to cocaine. Mm-hmm. And we are we are funding street dealers and we're turning them into billionaires in a matter of years. And with that, we're giving them these, this enormous amount of power. Sunday World crime journalist and the creator of the award-winning The Witness podcast, Nicola Talent, is my guest this week. She talked to me about how Veronica Guerin's death changed everything, exploding trochera boxes, and how Irish people are funding a new generation of homegrown cocaine billionaires. This season of the Last of Your Life podcast is brought to you by FNF Fashion at Tesco. As usual, popped in for the weekly shop this week, and of course, veered for FNF. I did a spring clean on my room this week, brand new sheets spruced the place dusted the place and so when you've done that of course you need new pyjamas which is exactly what I popped in for they have some fab prints in their pyjamas in this week so do pop in if you're doing your shop FNF is available at selected Tesco stores you can find it where your nearest one is at tesco.ie forward slash store locator and now for my chat with Nicola Talent I hope you enjoy Nicola Talent you are extremely welcome to the laughs of your life thank you very much and um, before we launch into our chat about laughter, I have to, I just, I, I need to say this because we might get to it later on, but just in case we don't. I am not a true crime person. I don't eat that stuff up because um, I just kind of get a bit scared. Uh, a lot of my friends do and we would be bet into it. And yeah. so they said, we know you're not into this, but you, you have to listen to the witness. So I was like, okay, I'll give it a go. So before Christmas, I was on a journey down to Limerick and I was working for the day. So I was like, right, I'll fire it on and see if I can get an episode or two out of it. I was absolutely fuming to have to go to work in Limerick. All right. <laughs> because I had to obviously stop it. You started binging. I was absolutely and completely gripped from the get go the whole way through. And I just want to say thank you because it was unbelievable from start to finish and I've told everyone about it and everyone who has listened to it that I've told about it uh, has come back and said thanks because it's absolutely, it's um, heartbreaking, mm. gut-wrenching, thrilling from start to finish. Well, that's fabulous. I'm glad you enjoyed it and everybody else has as well that, you know, um, did you learn something from it about that world that... Oh my God. Yeah. Um, but Joey, like, what a phenomenal storyteller I can't even begin to imagine um how he could sit down and tell the story the way he did after all he's been through and uh how is he am I allowed to ask that yeah you are he's good like I mean you know look the podcast hit two million streams which is an amazing thing we never thought would happen we're talking about other projects he's in good form he's doing well um, Brian Kenny, unfortunately, is getting out of prison on a regular basis at the moment and is coming towards the end of a sentence. So he'll be out, you know, probably within the next year or two full time. So that's a new challenge that he'll have to face. Um, and obviously his life remains under serious threat. But we all learned a little bit, I think, over the last two years, how to live with the threat of something. 
completely different. Obviously, I wouldn't be comparing COVID to that. But I think, you know, you got that sense at the very beginning of it, of this panic, like, how are we going to deal with this? And there was nowhere to go to get away from it. Mm. Um, and, you know, then you did learn to deal with it, didn't you? And you learned to live with it. And that that's really what happens. And human beings have the ability to learn to to deal with very, very strange and difficult situations. And he's just so long living with it now that, I mean, his behaviour might, you might find it odd. You might find my behaviour odd sometimes. <laughs> Some friends of mine find me a bit strange. But you just have to be a little bit aware of, you know, possibilities. I mean, him, I'm not comparing myself with him in a million years, but... No, but it's that world. It's that kind of thing that you just have to be constantly a little bit alert, you know. But we have all learned that, haven't we? Yeah. You know. Your um, relationship with him, would you say it's a, it's kind of maternal or is it more friendly or business? I don't know. How do you describe it? Yeah, it's maybe a bit of both. I don't know. Like, and it's business as well. Like, I mean, he's he's really easy to deal with. Sometimes as a journalist, if you're, you know, you're you're writing a story about somebody, some people, if they're traumatized in particular, can sort of, you know, maybe call you a little bit too often, want too much from you. Um, there's blurred lines there and it's difficult because you don't want to be unkind or, you know, but some people can, you know, be a little bit over the top in their communication. He's not a bit like that. He's always been grand, like, you know, um, and yeah, we get on very well together. And um, I, from the minute I met him, really, I just knew he was a very decent honest, truthful, nice person who was stuck in a really bad situation. And, uh, you know, he still is stuck in a really bad situation, mm-hmm. but his coping ability, I admire. Yeah. Well, he, he, we could talk about Joey O'Callaghan all day, but mm. I want to talk about you, Nicola. He'd be delighted, by the way. That oh, you, will he? Yeah, he will. He'd be thrilled now. I'll have to tell him. <laughs> Get him to subscribe to yes, the Last Year Life podcast. Yes. Okay, Nicola Tant, your first memory of laughter. Yeah. And, do you know, this is a really I've actually been speaking about this of late with my family because we've been reminiscing about it. And well before, uh, you know, coming on here came up. But I have this memory when I must have been about 18 months. Right. Now, isn't that amazing? Because I can't remember (laughs) what I did last week or last month. But I have this memory and I I was in the house we were living in at the time which we moved out of when I was four. And I don't remember the house, but I remember exactly this. And I'm in my cot. um, I'm standing up right in the cot and my brother is around and I want him to come in because I want this sword fight with him, right? Right. And um, so, and I remember where the lights were on and I remember where the cot was positioned and everything. And there was these two steel rods down it, which were obviously holding it up. But I had found a way to, and I remember pulling one of them out, calling him in and pulling one of them out and sweeping it back really aggressively and walloping it off this picture of a holy picture, actually, that was over my bed, which <laughs> happened us all in the 70s. But uh, And the picture smashed. And then I pulled the second one out and handed it to him and we were going to have this big sword fight. And the whole cot collapsed. And I remember just being in shock for a second and then roaring laughing. And I was kind of like, then it goes black. I don't remember after that. I'm sure I was in trouble. <laughs> in actual fact, my mother told me recently that was the end of you and Cots. But I have, it's so vivid, the memory. It's so, and the laughter that it was like this moment of, I knew I was going to be in trouble, but 
this was so funny that I had done this to my cot, you know. Worth it. But isn't it incredible that you can remember Where? back to then? 18 months. Mm, and it wasn't even, I speak to people sometimes and they have trauma. Yeah. And they remember it, you know what I mean? When they're very young, you kind of go, how could you remember when you're three or whatever? And a trauma. So maybe this was a slight <laughs> trauma or something as well. <laughs> my first destruction. Um, first yeah. of many. Yeah. Was it a happy house, would you say? Oh, yes, absolutely. I mean, we would have had a happy childhood, you know, and privilege. So you, your brother? Just the two of us. Just the two. Yeah. So It's very hard to find uh, much about your family, and I'm sure that's, there's a reason for that. Yeah, no, I don't really kind of. I suppose I just don't really do. I don't really do a huge amount of personal stuff, actually. So <laughs> I'm honoured. God, we'll have to edit the whole lot of it. But anyway, yeah, there was just the two of us. And um, yeah, it was. It was a very stable home, you yeah, know. Yeah. And... Um, you appreciate that more as you grow older. You just take it for granted, don't you, when you're younger. And then the older you get, I think you sort of really appreciate the efforts that go into creating a stable home environment. Okay, Nicola, the first time you felt laughed at. Okay, pull myself up for this now. This is so embarrassing. Oh my God, you have to like mentally prepare to tell it. Yeah, no, it's really, really embarrassing. Oh, go on. I'll try. Um, definitely when I was a teenager. Do you feel embarrassed before that? Not really. No. There's a certain age you hit and then everything's embarrassing. Yeah, no matter what you do, the way you breathe, yeah. you're embarrassed about. Yeah. And, you know, everyone around you is so embarrassing. Um, <laughs> but, yeah, I remember being in school, in secondary school. I can't remember exactly, maybe second year or something like that. So that would have made me about 14, 15 maybe. And I was hugely into the doors. My room was covered in posters of the doors they were this American band and um, it was very cool to be well I thought it was very cool to be into them and in a big way and everything but um, we had some sort of an English assignment to do with poetry or something right and you had to go off and write a bit of a thing about poets and stuff and I liked English actually I was good at English and I kind of maybe felt a bit confident in the class or something Oh, and um, the teacher asked, would anybody like to read what they'd written? And I, my hand went up and um, I read out this thing that all about the doors and how I considered Jim Morrison, who's the lead singer, <laughs> to be one of the greatest poets of the century. I mean, it was such a dramatic, big, giant statement, right? I mean, as I've gone on to be a little bit dramatic, but I had him as the poet of the century. And I just remember looking up and the teacher couldn't help herself. She couldn't take the grin off her face, right? She couldn't help herself. And looking back now, I can't blame her because it was such a stupid teenage (laughs) angsty, you know, thing to come out with. And she just started to sort of giggle at me and I was mortified. Oh no, I really wanted the ground to open. I mean, I can still feel that. Puce. Look at me, look at doing tensing. (laughs) It was cringeworthy. <laughs> and I just shut my mouth after that. No. For a good few years. Yeah, I did. Stop. Oh, yeah. No, no, no. I really was. It was really, I was heartbroken. That Lasting effect. Yeah, yeah. yeah. I really wanted to reverse the whole thing. And yeah, I don't like people. Well, I like, I don't mind people laughing at me. You know, I don't mind people laughing at me. But when I'm trying to say something serious and yeah. laughs at me, it's like, oh. <laughs> but uh, no problem with people taking the, the piss, you know. What would you have been like in school in terms of, um, you know, the popular kids, 
the studious kids. No, no. Where did you fall? It was square. Not a total square, <laughs> but I wouldn't have been what they call. I know that I won't say the name that they call them now, but I would have been just backward and not no boyfriends going on early or anything like that. No, 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 no. Would have been just giddy and uh, childish. Okay. I was probably quite innocent. Really? Yeah, I probably I certainly wouldn't have been advanced. I mean, I could identify people in my class who were advanced and they're still more advanced. Right. In just maturity levels. <laughs> yeah, yeah. There was a reunion a few years ago and everyone's the same. Isn't it amazing? It's mad. Everyone's exactly the same. Really? Yeah. The same cool people are still cool and not cool or not cool. And You yeah. swear. Yeah. No, I wouldn't, wouldn't have been now one of those cool ones. I think I kind of... Um, nearly wouldn't have been allowed. I think I I think I there was a bit of a strictness there. Yeah, I w- certainly wouldn't have been allowed to do things that the wilder ones were allowed to do and everything. And you say you liked English. Did you apply yourself? No, 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 absolutely no interest in school. Um, you know, I got by and everything, but I didn't. I found it very boring. And towards the end of it, um, I remember feeling ridiculous in a school uniform. I was gone in my head out of school. Right, like, checked out. Fifth, sixth year, I think I did the sixth year in the institute, which helped a bit. Oh, did in you? Dublin, yeah. Yeah. I think you either go one or t- one of two ways in the institute. You either totally apply yourself, or you're like, oh, yes, no, I'm I just in town. Went along. That's what I went for. Yeah, I'm in town. Yeah, yeah. Pints, pints for lunch. Pints for lunch. <laughs> did really well at pool. Um, right. There was various places around town we used to go to, and met a really diverse group of people. Uh, and that's what I got out of it. I was very lucky to to even, I can't even remember what I got. I had no interest in leaving cert. I was abroad when the results came in. I had no interest. Um, and I failed chemistry spectacularly. At what point did you decide or know that you wanted to do what you do now? Or did you decide or did you fall into it? Or how did that all happen? No, kind of. Yeah, no, I knew I wanted to do it, actually, from a very young age. I really? had no idea why. Like, there was none of it in my family or anything like that, but I knew I wanted to do it. And I've always thought that I'd say I saw something on the telly. Right. I'd say it was that deep. You okay, know? okay. I just saw flashing some probably Lois Lane or something, and that's why I wanted to do it. Um, but I didn't really, wasn't interested in anything else. And, but crime, was that the thing you wanted to do? Well, I was always interested in that as well. I remember being weird, like when I was younger. And do you know, know, there was this phase that the world went through, um, or certainly Europe went through. This is really strange, but an interest in devil worship and as if devil worship was a real threat to society, you know. (laughs) And when I was was just a load of weirdos, you know. (laughs) But there was always these articles in magazines and yeah, magazines. It must have been little crime magazines or something you could buy. But I had, this is even more embarrassing than that story I told you. <laughs> I had this sort of um, book and I used to clip out these stories about devil worshipping and kind of keep it all together as my little journals as I knew all about it. And yeah, that's kind like of probably book. my first insurance. Like a scrapbook about devil worshipping. I mean, that is very strange and I mustn't have been, I'd like to think I was very young when that happened. But yeah, but I was interested in that kind of thing. And then cults, I got really interested in cults, which aren't 
crimes actually or anything <laughs> like that but they were all lumped together back then it's actually um, not far off though a cult isn't far off a, a gang you know it's like yeah it's no similar... I suppose it's coercive yeah. behaviour and stuff I actually did some work on that as a journalist later on a few on a few different uh, ones did a book with somebody on Scientology and that kind of thing so obviously that interest kept but so I was always interested in crime and then I think when I started in journalism um Look, when you start out anywhere, you'll do anything. You know what I mean? Yeah. Vox pops on the street dressed as a giant rat or whatever. But make the tea. You make the tea and re- rewrite press releases. But I kind of did veer towards the crime. And then when I was really sort of starting out, John Gilligan and his gang, the state went to war after the ki- he ordered the murder of Veronica Gearan. So I was actually you know, on a, I was working for the Mirror at the time and they only had two people in Dublin. We were working kind of to London. And so the two of us, anything, the big story of the day, be it political or whatever, you were sent on that. So I ended up on that, on those Gilligan trials. Right. And that was it then. You were that by the bug. It. Yeah. Loved it. That was me done. Yeah. And um, that's what got me interested. And then I went back and I studied criminology and I kind of then just covered the crime beat for a couple of different newspapers for a while. I'm at it so long now, you see. Um, you kind of forget the trajectory. You kind of forget how you got there, yeah, you know yeah. what I mean? And of course, there's no way going back, but um, yeah, I just... And you gain your knowledge as you go along. Like, I can have a bit of a train spottery thing with it, you know, when I'm coming out with this name, that person's linked to that person, and you remember back... And everybody seems to come to the fore again, actually. Funny enough, John Gilligan, yeah. sure, like I know. the year before last year or something, he's arrested in Spain with a load of cannabis. He's facing trial there now. Um, you know, it's full circle. Yeah. Do you remember it, the death of Veronica Gear? Is it the kind of thing where you remember when you where you were when you heard? I was certainly working in an office at the time um, in Sandy Mount. I remember it coming on the news and I think everybody kind of remembered that was old enough to to know the significance of it mm. you kind of it was such a huge story and um, awful uh, I don't think I would have been really totally mature enough to have known exactly what the consequences of were, you know were of it I was kind of going with the flow yeah. hearing what other people were saying about it and how outraged we should be as a state as well as individuals and so I was kind of just taking that in I didn't have a sort of my own firm opinion on it would now I suppose but didn't see the um, but yeah like and I never sort of connected that I was going into crime journalism and she had been murdered, you know, and that the, this was a possible, never connected that. That's what I'm wondering. Until maybe more recent years, I kind of went, wow, some of the things I did at the <laughs> you're start. You're just going about your day, you're like, wait a second. Yeah, hang on a this second is... here. Did someone trick me? <laughs> What's going on? Oh my God. Um, so, uh, yeah, you don't. I was only talking to, there's a, a crime journalist I speak to in the North, Alison Morris, who's a great attitude to things. But she, um, we were talking recently between ourselves, we were kind of going, you know, if you could go back, would you choose this? Would you choose this career? Yeah. No, but nobody tells you then that you know what 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 things you may face or that you just you'd never have said yes. I'll do that. Yeah. But at the same time, I I 
I do love where I am now and I enjoy it and all the rest of it, but... You could say the same about anything. Like You probably you, could, yeah. because yeah. you're, I mean, when you're passionate about it and you're enjoying it while you're doing it, you yeah. don't overthink it. You don't overthink it, exactly. And that's yeah. that's yeah. living. That's, yeah. that's you living the way you should be, as in, obviously, if you're um, content at the time. Yeah. Hindsight's a great thing. It is. And then sometimes you can have a moment and, you know, you can, you know, it may be a threat or something like that. And you, I, like I've had times when I have rolled around the bed going, what in the name of God did you do? Like, how stupid are you to get involved in this? And, but it passes, yeah. you know, it passes. You have to live. Yeah. Nicola, the moment when if you didn't laugh, you'd cry. I remember another time <laughs> years back, um, years back now. And uh, do you know the way you got the trocra box from school? Yeah. Do you remember that oh, now? No, uh, no, actually, no, I genuinely do remember that. Tell me uh, your generation. I swear to God, we like did. That. We were very charitable. <laughs> well, we used to get them home from school and they'd sit on the hall table and I presume adults put the twopences and the, you know, all these coppers in it and you'd be just wanting the weight of it, you know? Yeah. And of course, I didn't bring it back to school. I forgot and must have missed the deadline or something. And my mother was kind of cross. So she made me and my brother go over to the local church with the thing. Right. Right. And he was furious because he had to kind of go with me. And we walked over and we walked into the church and there was a mass going on. It was a huge, big, vast church with wooden floors. And we're walking down the middle of it, sort of tiptoeing. And I, for some reason, decided to shake it. I think to probably show everyone how much was in it. Showing off. Showing off. And they were cardboard boxes. Do you remember them? They, wasn't with, much, a, with a weak arse on them. There wasn't much strength in them. Right? Stop. So the thing just went everywhere. And the noise of it, it just sort of exploded. And it went everywhere. The pennies were no. rolling under seats. Elwyn's moving their feet. And I remember my brother just looking at me going, you fucking gobshite. Oh my God, the noise of it. And I just had to laugh. Like, I mean, what could you do? I had what? to scramble around the floor. And you know, you can't even pick a coin above no, a church No, you're floor, trying to flick know. it up off the hard yeah. ground. Oh, so, yeah, tears of laughter. But um, yeah, and another vivid, <laughs> nice, vivid memory I have. Actually, maybe I did have a traumatic childhood, actually, now that I think of it. Okay. <laughs> you're bringing it all up. <laughs> Nicola Talent, your no laughing matter moment in life. No room for laughter. Yeah, there's a lot of them, really, in a way, I suppose, given the job. Like, um, there's always, you know, people, if you get comfortable with people, no matter what it is you're talking about, there will come a a time where the mood loosens and somebody says something and you can have a bit of a laugh. But I suppose in my job, mostly, there is somebody else has to bring that moment to the table. It's not for me to do that, you know. So sometimes, I mean, you can be just listening to the most horrific horrific stories um there is no room you don't feel you want to laugh anyway you know what I mean mm-hmm. um spoke to a woman this week and it was just a story is you're just your gob is on the ground listening to it and looking at a functioning human being and wondering how they're like that you know after so much but um you know there's a lot of uh black humor around journalism and around the job we do which is not for broadcast anywhere the kind of comments that are made it's a bit of a coping mechanism maybe and um you know 
there's no counselling or anything like that. You just go to the pub and, you know, you find yourself laughing at the most horrendous things like or, you know, making a joke of something that is not funny. But yeah. by and large, kind of like on the that sort of territory, there's no there's no room for for comedy or anything like that. It's funny, actually, because the podcast, the Crime World podcast, mm-hmm. podcasting is great because you can be a little bit of yourself. Yeah. You know, and I think probably up to doing podcasting, any sort of broadcast I would have done would have been very serious mm. and, you know, not scripted, but certainly very serious matters. So you come across as being an extremely serious person, which I'm not. Whereas the podcast, there is sometimes yes. that you can have a little bit of a laugh about something. There's it's it's a kind of a very fine balance. Mm hmm to find something when you're talking about crime and there's victims involved and there's so much trauma. But um, I like that about it, that you can sometimes have a bit of a laugh yeah. on that. I like I like podcasting for that reason, you know. You mentioned uh, that you spoke to a woman this week. Yeah. In that world, like, where do you, like, how do you feel about women in the world of crime and where they stand and how... I suppose helpless they can often feel and the women mm. that you speak to. Well, women who have been subject of crime, you know, who have been raped or who have been beaten or something like that are victims, you know. And um, but in the world of they would usually be domestic crimes as such. I see crime as there's sort of nearly two parts to it. There's, right. There's sort of crimes that happen um you know, when people may be murdered, but it's not connected to organised crime. Yeah. And then there's organised crime. So those sort of crimes of passion, be they domestic crimes, whatever. In organised crime, it's very, very different. And women um, have a very back seat role in that. You know, you find very few women who are senior members of gangs. Now, if they are, by the way, they are running the show and they are 10 times worse than the men. Really? Yeah. I mean, that sort of... There's a couple of the sort of matriarch types who are running crime gangs who would scare the living daylights out of you. Like, yeah, they really do it well when they do it and they can be very cruel, you know. But by and large, in that world, women have a role, like a kind of a dark ages role you know yeah they're there on the arm of the guy and they are all very you know pretty looking and they have the nice clothes and everything but they have to accept that their man has another few women you know right and that is acceptable and there would be a lot of physical violence against them um you know they can claim they turn a blind eye but they know where the money's coming from so they're kind of you know accepting the pair of Laboutins and they're just, you know, they like having those. So they accept the rest of the stuff that goes with it, you know. Bit of a row, new pair of shoes, little trip to Brown Thomas, whatever it is. Um, and that's just a word. And like, do you know, having said that for a lot of women um, that I see kind of in the sort of the gangs, I'm not talking the big high end Dubai stuff, I mean, on the ground in, in in Dublin in particular, they're from communities where they, you know, they're very disadvantaged yeah. in these communities. And um, this is their chance, getting a guy who is a drug dealer 
is mm-hmm. their chance of pulling themselves out of poverty and kind of desperation as well, you know. So yeah. you have to sort of understand that as well to yeah. see where they're coming from. Um, they very much, there is a peculiar kind of a, each of them has a, has a, has a place mm. and each of the girlfriends has a place, you know, a status. Being the wife is a certain status. Role like, yeah. A bit like the biker gangs. They have all these women that yeah. are, you know, you number one, two, three, four or whatever it is. Right. And they just accept that that's the way it is, you know. Um, what kind of an effect do you think COVID has had on organised crime? Very it, little. Really? Mm. Very little. Like, you know, I suppose they operate outside the laws anyway. and Yeah, nothing's going to stop that. Nothing's yeah. going to stop it. I was really surprised at the... Um, we never really get a proper handle on how much cocaine has been used out there. But I was really surprised by that, that it didn't drop. Because I don't take cocaine. I wouldn't take it because I know where the money's going. Mm. But I know lots of people who do. And, you know, let's not be naive. People are taking it all the time. They're taking it the same way they buy a gin and tonic in a pub. Mm-hmm. But I thought they did it when they were out. I know. Pardon I didn't too. realise people were just sitting at home taking coke. But then... Why wouldn't I realise that? Because people were sitting at home drinking a bottle of wine or whatever. It is just another thing. But um, I think it's been surprising probably the amount of reliance for non-social related existence people have on cocaine. Mad. You know, that's been a bit of an eye opener, I think, for everybody in law enforcement as well, that the nightclubs don't need to be open for the sale of this stuff to be just through the roof. And Europe's still a growing market, you know. Grim. So um, it is what it is. People choose to take it. I mean, you know, I don't judge anybody who takes it. I, the only thing I do is try and increase the levels of awareness of what where it's coming from and the kind of, you know, the idea that we do consider what we're eating. Yeah. What we're buying. Fast fashion. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. All of that. Yeah. We consider all that. But yet we don't seem to be as as a society apply that same logic to cocaine. Mm-hmm. You don't care that. I mean, the abuses start from the Venezuelan border, like all the way through the farmers, the murders. You know, everyone sees what's happening in Mexico. It is a narco state completely and utterly. And that is all headed for us in Europe. And we are we are funding street dealers and we're turning them into billionaires in a matter of years. And with that, we're giving them these this enormous amount of power. Um, there's a guy at the moment in the Netherlands, Ridwin Taji, who is before the courts and he is taking on the entire state of the Netherlands. There has been a murder of the brother of a state witness. There's been the murder of a criminal lawyer. I think that was the first time in Europe um, a journalist has been murdered. Two more are under threat. The prime minister is living with 24-hour security. And this guy's locked up in a high-security prison. And that's the level of threat. You know, that's more than somebody trying to protect their business, their money. That is literally when somebody goes bit Pablo Escobar and and takes on takes on the very foundations of the state. And that was a guy who was a street dealer a few years ago, like. Crazy. So, you know, we fund this industry. We fund these people. We turn them into very powerful um, billionaires, you know. 
sorry it's a bit early in the morning for that. <laughs> can I ask you the Stick person you coffee. always laugh with <laughs> I have this friend called Heather and um, when we were in school we used to be really annoying just giggling you know a friend that you just can't breathe you're just laughing so much about nothing <laughs> couldn't look at one another you know or we'd be giggling but I sort of lost contact with her for years after we left school and all the rest we went our different ways but yeah. um she, there was this reunion a few years ago and um, it was in this hotel and walked in and I was just mulling around looking at these same faces. Like, I don't think people actually age. I think that's just a myth. <laughs> if you put them all in their school uniforms, they'd have been the same Look people. The same. Like, that's I mean, funny. it's amazing. But um, milling around, talking to everyone. The next thing I look up and there she was. We just... Bent over laughing and again, I spent the whole night not able to straighten myself. <laughs> With her? With her. Heather? Yeah. Heather, yeah. Okay. Back in touch now anyway. So we oh, still that's have, good. Yeah, giddy, giddy dinners and things like that. Okay, Nicola, a time where you had the last laugh. I have a thing um, called a shit list, right? Which is I have a list of people sort of around my work that have bugged me or annoyed me or something like that. Right. And um, I won't name any of them because... Um, for legal reasons, <laughs> but or describe to you why they're on it. But people do get on that, you know, that list. Right. It's well known in my own office environment. But um, a few of them have come a cropper, shall we say, and a few of them have ended up behind bars, not because of what I've done, what they've done. But um, yeah, I just I like that when okay. they're on it and I scratch them off. Love it. Yeah, but then more go on yeah, all okay, the time. Okay. Yeah. How many are on it at the moment that haven't been crossed off, would you mm, say? There's about 12 there now at the moment. Oh, yeah. wow. Yeah, so that's not good. And But how many have you crossed off? Good few. More than 12? Yeah, 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 yeah. Okay, yeah. we're winning. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> definitely. <laughs> okay, uh, Nicola, if laughter wasn't the best medicine, what would be? I do love that feeling of, gosh, it's be soon now, will it? Of, um, do you know when you're like away on a holiday? And you've finally begun to relax. Yes. Week two, maybe, is it? Yeah. And do you know, like, when you're somewhere on a beach and you just drop your hand down and start doing that with the warm sand? Oh, my God. Do you know that feeling? And yes. you hear the water lapping in and um, there's a quietness. You can hear in the background and somewhere far away a sort of noise of people doing things. And yeah. I just love that feeling, that sensation the warmth of the sand and just kind of letting it run through my fingers and not having anything to do and all. Bliss, isn't it? Bliss. When did I do that last? I'm going to do that this summer. I love, I know exactly the feeling because the first week or so, you're still a bit uptight, you're still checking the phone, you're still checking this, mm. that and the other and you're still kind of going, what are we going to do tomorrow? What would you do? But then when it gets to week two, you're like, I don't know what we're doing tomorrow. Just, I don't care either. We're just yeah. going to take it as it comes. And the warmth of the sun on yes. you. Like we don't get enough of that here. No. We really don't. Those lazy afternoons when you can, you know, do whatever it is you want. You don't have to be anywhere or worry about. And of course, you have to be staying in a hotel because you don't want to be self gated <laughs> I am not making that bed. No way. Not a Just chance. somebody else can do all that and worry about washing up and everything. Yeah, that's no, lovely. Where, Holidays are good for us. We should yeah. all get going again. I think we've all learned that, though. I think yeah, we've I think really so. learned mm. the pace of life we were at was actually fairly ridiculous. Crazy, before. wasn't it? It was. Yeah. So crazy. That commuting carry on was mad. And do you know, my, my dad, I have my, I have a very wise dad and he'd mm. always kind of be philosophical about these things. And even before COVID struck, 
he kind of he kind of noticed it. He was just like, we've all gone a bit mad. And it's it's yeah. really quite depressing for a lot of people. You know, people who say work in Dublin, but live an hour away yeah. and they're getting up and they're putting their kids into childcare. They're getting into the car. They're driving for an hour. They're doing a full day. They're coming back. They're picking up the kids. They maybe have an hour with the kids and then it's into bed and it's the same the next day. Like, I that's think that just... is the hardest time of life for anybody. I have to say so it's tough. awful. And like you must question everything you're doing. And yeah. then like a lot of women will drop out of work and their careers at that point because it's too hard, actually. Yeah. And then no matter what, it does come back down to the woman. I think, you know, big time. I'm not into I'm big into equality and all that. But I do think a woman takes on more around those years, definitely. And the feeling of, you know, leaving kids in all day to a crash that winter when you leave them in in the morning yeah. and it's dark and you're collecting them when it's dark. An awful feeling. Yeah. You know? So I think we've all reassessed that. Yeah, hopefully, hopefully. And it doesn't all rewind back into we're a little bit like hamsters, though, aren't we, us human beings? Mm. One thing about Ireland, Nicola, that makes you laugh. God, Ireland is crazy, isn't it? Yeah. Um, <laughs> I mean, there's no country like it. I love Ireland, rural Ireland in particular. I mean, um, I was down in a village in Limerick. Uh, some years ago, I have a friend who lives down there and uh, rural, very rural now, horsey land. OK. And there was this little pub in our village, Blinken, you could, you know, you'd miss it. But yeah. it was one of those little pubs. And there was a very eclectic mix of people living around, sort of very wealthy English and horsey set and all sorts of people. And the pub was always just a bit of crack. I mean, you'd go and you just would be... And everybody be having these conversations that you're like going, what the hell? And it's all normalised. But I remember one night um, the publican, we're probably there late now, I'd say, but the publican, uh, a <laughs> <laughs> few people had drifted off home, <laughs> but the publican came in and called everyone to order and she had an announcement to make. And I thought it was right. You're going home like, mm. no, nope. um, such and such is up the road and he's fallen into the ditch and his legs are out in the road. So anybody driving, just pull out. And they all just went, okay, this man's son was in the pub and he just went, he'd another pint. (laughs) (laughs) And I was like, that is just mental that that's the way they'd handle that situation. This man had fallen drunk into a ditch and left his legs out on the road and in- instead of going up and picking him up Arrow will leave him just will leave him and sure just drive round him just make sure you drive round and I think to me that's Ireland for you that's and beautiful. that is it is a beautiful story um, and his name was so funny obviously I won't say it but his name made it you know? right right but, uh, like to me that is Ireland that sort of crazy sort of wacky yeah. attitude to life Love and it. you know and especially as well the way everyone just goes okay yeah yeah we wouldn't nobody change goes what <laughs> we wouldn't change it for the world would we the sun being there is cherry on top yeah. of that story <laughs> yeah. okay are you ready for your quick fire round I feel like you're not but I'm going to throw Go. it you anyway yeah. the, the actor you always laugh at Jack Black oh excellent yeah like him the actress you always laugh at that would be Rebel Wilson legend I think she is so funny yeah. even her resting face is funny <laughs> do you know yeah one of these people you look at I'd her. love to hang out with her <laughs> the movie that always makes you laugh out loud definitely The Hangover my favourite movie all of them actually all of them at home they're sick of me going will we watch The Hangover 
tonight. You know, we've seen it about 75 times. It's just, I think it's so funny. Yeah, it doesn't get old. No. The comedian that always makes you laugh. Oh, Joanne McNally. Oh, She's stop. so filthy. I love her. <laughs> she is hilarious. I've been working on an impression of her. So I was watching clips of her on YouTube the other night to get her different kind of tics. Yeah. How is she not world famous? I don't know. I just think she's brilliant. She's amazing. She's so and her gosh. podcast with Vogue. Oh, amazing. That's my favourite podcast, is actually. It? Forget about the crime ones. Yeah, yeah. I love it. Love Escapism. It. I just put it on a Saturday, go for a walk and then make a show of myself going down the street laughing out loud <laughs> at them. They're so, they're good on, they're really good together, they're aren't so, they? They're so, they bring out the best in each other. Yeah. Do you know what? Because I say, I feel like Vogue is the type of celebrity a lot of people would look at and go, oh, fuck's sake, she's so perfect, she has it all. She's very down to earth. She's though, completely she? down yeah. to earth. And Joanne brings it out in her even yeah, more. Yeah. And then, I don't know, Vogue just makes jo- Joanne seem like the wildest joke, which she, she does, is. She, she is. And Vogue can be very funny as well. Really funny. I was listening to her and she was saying that they were buying, <laughs> the family were clubbing together to buy the brother a bottle of Tom Ford aftershave. <laughs> and Spenny said, I'll just buy it. And she's like, no, fuck off. We're clubbing together. I feel like she's the only woman in the world who could handle Spencer Matthews. I mean, yeah. She's deadly. He must have a good sense of humour too. Yeah, he's funny. Yeah. <laughs> you know? Okay. I love it. And finally, Nicola. Oh yeah, go on. Your best or worst joke. Yeah. I'm going to actually read you the only one that I found after my research and see, do you get it? Because I don't. Um, this is a I first. kind of half get it, but not really. Where did I put it now? Wait, let's see now. Um, what is a Karen called in Europe? What? An American? Oh, I get it. Do you? Yeah, I get it's it. It's not even funny. What is it? I don't really get it. You know what a Karen is? I know what a Karen is, yeah. So, like, Americans are kind of, they generally are a Karen anyway. Yeah. So that's obvious, but why is it funny? Like, <laughs> I just, so I just, Why did you bring it to the table? I had not, I, it was the only one that I could sort of see that I sort of vaguely understood. The rest of them I just... I love that you've just used this as a space to be like, now I'm going to just read a few jokes and you just tell me what they mean. <laughs> that's so funny. Actually, that's exactly, I should have brought in a few of them for you and you could have explained them to me, especially the rude ones. Nicola Talent, it's been an absolute pleasure to chat to you. And I'm actually delighted because, you know, as you mentioned earlier on, you don't really answer a whole lot of questions about your own life. So it's great to get an insight. Good. Thank you so much for sharing the laughs of your life. Thank you very much. Thank you for listening to the laughs of your life with Nicola Talent. I hope you enjoyed it. And if you did, don't forget to like, subscribe, rate and review. It really helps the show if you do. This podcast is produced by Chemistry Media and Collaborative Studios. This season of The Last of Your Life is brought to you by FNF, fashion at Tesco.